thanks for returning and coming back. My name is Chris Meyer, and this is the Chris Meyer Podcast. And we're here to discuss my second book, which is entitled Four Months in a Lifetime. And again, it's just kind of piggybacking on the first book, uh, Life in 20 Lessons, when I was listening to the advice of surviving members, the, the surviving members of the, the decedents who were coming to my funeral home. And invariably, I told you they would tell me, uh, you know, hey, your children are only one young once. Be with them. Be everything you can. Be be there at every step of the way because it goes so fast. So as I was mentioning, I really took those notes to heart and there were pearls um, for me. I would go home and I would be at my kids' open houses and at their plays and everything that they, every sport they wanted to play, I would coach. Not because I felt like I had to, just because I wanted to. I knew what I was seeing on a daily basis, and um, I believed what everyone was telling me. So the Four Months in a Lifetime tells the story of my nine-year journey with my middle son and his friends. And I started coaching them in kindergarten and my last year coaching them was in their eighth grade season. I only missed one season because the school I was at uh, wanted to have another coach coach them, which I was okay with, or at least I thought I was okay with. And um, I got to see them from kindergarten get better every year and really mature into young men in the eighth grade. And it was a very uh, unique journey because I think a lot of uh, coaches coach one age group for an extended period. And I got to see them each step of the way, each period of growth. They would come back. Some would play in the summer. We would started to play AAU, which is a lot more competitive in probably third grade. And we had some great deal of success and the kids got tougher and more experienced and really better at the game of basketball. So that was really fun to see. And I was one of these very fiery um, coaches on the sidelines, the ones that most parents hate, I would quite honestly admit. But I just loved being involved. And, and I think that the kids can see that kind of passion in their coach. And I think they they thrive on that and they they get energy from that. I remember very distinctly the first time we were out there in kindergarten playing a game. And I, I just, I remember stepping back and trying to get like a 30,000 foot view of what I was witnessing. And, you know, the baskets were lower. They had an apparatus on them so that the kids could actually make baskets. And in our league, each kid would have a colored sweatband around their wrist uh, and the corresponding team would have the sweatband so that each child knew if I'm wearing a red sweatband, I'm covering the guy with the red sweatband. And it was an organizational thing that the league tried to do so that kids wouldn't be running around wild the whole time. Of course, you know, best set intentions, it, it worked pretty well, but there was just mayhem when kindergartners are playing basketball, as you can only imagine. And this time I would sit back and watch and I would look into the stands and see grandparents and aunts and uncles and everyone pointing and laughing. And kids, you know, obviously were very varied. Some were like driving to the basket like it was an NBA championship. Some were dribbling the wrong way. Others were in the corner picking their nose. Some were playing with their shoelaces. It varied so desperately. And it was it was at that time stepping back and seeing all this 
that I knew that I had found my home. Like I felt always had felt comfortable in a gym. I always enjoyed it. I started to recollect my, my childhood and how I fell in love with basketball. And that's really what the other side of this story or this book is about. It is me falling in love with basketball. And there were two real seminal moments that, that came to, to light on how I fell in love with basketball. Though I lived in suburban New York, and I distinctly remember a time when there was a house a couple doors down from my, uh, one of my good friends called the Abbott House, and it was a house that was purchased uh, for at-risk kids, I, I presume by the county or state, and there were Hispanic and African-American kids. And you could imagine in this, you know, lily white suburban tree-lined streets of Pleasantville, New York is where I grew up, that this was a little bit controversial. And it, it backed up right to the high school and at the exterior courts of, of the Pleasantville High School. And it was, you know, these concrete courts that you could only imagine. And invariably, when I was over at my friend's house, we would hear the kids from the Abbott house playing hoops. And, you know, obviously we would one once in a blue moon get enough courage to go over and start to say, hey, can we play? And I just remember the kids of the Abbott house I always thought were the coolest kids around. They had the best shorts and style and, you know, a cigarette behind the ear. They were just men before we were truly men. And it was so scary because I would walk up in my Ocean Pacific, you know, corduroy shorts and ask to play basketball. And, and they, you could imagine the looks that we would get. But over time, you know, you would start to play. You would start to actually get a pass once in a while if they saw that you were working. And, and we had so much fun over time playing with kids like Floyd James and... Uh, a kid called Pinky Sagittarius. He later became, <laughs> became Joaquin the Walking Joint, self-proclaimed. And these kids became part of our community and part of our basketball experience. And I, I distinctly remember falling in love more with the game through um, my friends over at the Abbott House. Another really important moment for me was um, in my sophomore year, I had a brother who was a senior in high school and a good friend who uh, was an African-American kid, one of the only African-American students at my high school. And with my friend Terry, whose nickname was Duke because his sister went to Duke, we hatched a plan, the three of us, the sophomore, the junior, and the senior, and said, hey, what if on spring break we went down there and we visited my oldest brother, who was then a sophomore at Duke University, to drive and see him over spring break. And somehow our parents said, yes, that was okay. I still to this day don't understand how or why. And even more absurd was Terry's parents let us take their Lincoln Continental, a brown colored boat that looked like it was from a Shaft movie. And we drove down to see my oldest brother in Durham, North Carolina. And along the way, it was absolute bacchanalia in the car. You can only imagine these three kids Slim Jims, Gatorades, Corn Nuts, and we listened on an eight-track tape to Earth, Wind, and Fire sing Shining Star and Boogie Wonderland and sang at the top of our lungs all along these highways until we saw blue lights in the rearview mirror. 
And uh, we pulled over and we got stopped by a white police officer who, you know, curiously enough, stuck his head in and saw Terry, our African-American friend, and us two young white boys in a car, Lincoln Continental. And he said, what the hell is going on here? And we said, you know, we're just going to see our older brother down at Duke University. And he looked at us like, your parents let you drive a Lincoln Continental to Durham from suburban New York? And we said, yeah, isn't this great? And he just looked at us and shook his head. I remember as clear as day, he could not believe what he was witnessing. And he just said, slow down and walked away. And we, you know, we all thought for sure we're getting a ticket and we started dividing up how we're going to pay it. You know, I'll pay 50, you pay 50, he pays 50. Then the police car just drove by us and, and we couldn't believe what we had witnessed. He let us off and we could not believe our good fortune. And that motivated us to finish the ride and, and go to Duke University where uh, Terry and I tried to sneak into Cameron Indoor um, it didn't work. We were stopped and we, you know, convinced the gentleman to let us look around and, and seeing that was really, um, pretty amazing for me. It was time with Mike Jaminski and Gene Banks were starring and I could see them literally playing. They weren't there, but I could picture them playing Jimmy Black and Michael Korn from North Carolina. And this is the gym that I would see on uh, my TV set when I would watch college games on a Saturday. So that was pretty epic time. And I just remember sharing that with uh, my buddy Duke and what a great time we had. So, you know, there are stories like this, stories from my childhood, stories of how I fell in love with basketball, and really the stories of my son's eighth grade season and how we were supposed to be the the greatest team coming through uh, our little small parochial school division and how we had a great season. And uh, I won't tell you how it ended, but uh, it's a wonderful book. It's very heartfelt and I'm very proud of it. And um I will have it forever with my uh, a great experience with my middle son. So thank you for joining us, and um, I hope you get to pick up Four Months in a Lifetime and you enjoy reading it as much as I enjoyed writing it. Thank you for your time.